Hi, everyone. I am Mitzi Rothside. I'm the Post New York Alliance Executive Director. Um, started March 2nd. Interesting time to start, uh, but it's actually been a, really a blast. And uh, I'm very pleased to be here, and I'm very pleased that you are all here joining us. So I want to talk to you about, um, introduce your moder moderator, Kendall McCarthy. Now, Kendall has some of uh, just the most interesting uh, resume that I could probably spend 10 minutes talking about, but um, it includes films, TV cables, streaming. It includes two of my favorite all-time films, Rachel Getting Married yeah. and Kind Rewind. It also includes Bringing Out the Dead, where she worked with Marty Scorsese and Barbara Dufina and Scott Rudin. It uh, includes the seven-part documentary series for PBS, The Blues. It includes Tales of the City, Happen Leonard, Sense8, the Americans, Mildred Pierce. I mean, it's pretty darn amazing. So um, I'm thrilled that she could be here and she's got her own stories to tell, but also she's gonna you know, introduce our panelists and um, take it away, Kendall. All right, welcome everybody. Super, super happy to have you all here. Uh, we have a great panel for you. I talked to a lot of them yesterday. They have some really, really great stories. So. I'm gonna first just introduce you who our panel is. I'm gonna start with Inga. Uh, Inga Morin Tapias, she started in the camera department uh, as a loader. She's worked on such shows as Sneaky Pete, Mr. Uh, Mr. Robot, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. She then transitioned to assistant editing in uh, docs and reality. She graduated to an editor in those fields. Um, and then most recently, transition to scripted on the show, on the film, The Photograph, directed by Stella McGee. The next person I'm gonna introduce is Christina Delerme. And Christina uh, started off, uh, she graduated with an uh, audio engineering degree in college. When she moved to New York City, she started working at Technicolor Postworks. She it has been a DI producer there, worked on such great shows uh, and films as American Jihad, Going Clear, St. Vincent, Manchester by the Sea, Booksmart, Lucky Logan. Uh, she also, while there, worked as a VFX producer on Divorce, The Get Down, and Girl on a Train. She has most recently transitioned to the, the production side, the non-vendor side, and is now post-supering on a bunch of films. We're really happy to have you. Welcome aboard, Christina. The next person on our list is Veronica Vazzolo. Um, she started off as an assistant editor in reality. Uh, she then graduated uh, to an editor. She worked on such projects as Mission Menu, Hillbilly, uh, Hillbilly Blood, and recently has transitioned into scripted. Her first opportunity was doing dailies on the film Yes, God, Yes. And then her breakout success was as an assistant editor on She's Gotta Have It, uh, executive produced by Spike Lee. She has also worked as an AE on Billions, and she is also working uh, currently, I think now, on The Five Bloods, which is directed by Spike Lee as an assistant editor. Welcome, Veronica. Uh, our last and final member on our panel is Jamie Kirkpatrick. Uh, he got into editing in a very unique way. He started working for Avid uh, and cut his teeth there. So we're gonna have him talk about that because I think that's a great way to get into uh, assistant editing. Um, his first big AE gig was on the South Park uh, movie. He also worked as an AE on Lost in Translation, Door on the Floor, Dark Water. His big break 
uh, as an editor, his first chance was The Groomsman, directed by Eddie Burns. And we're going to definitely have him talk about that because that's just a fantastic story. Uh, at that time, um, right around mid-2000s, unfortunately, the bottom dropped out of the indie world. And when things got lean, he went out and did a whole bunch of reality TV. And he has since gotten back into scripted material. And he's got a great feature coming out, Critical Thinking, which is directed by and starring John Leguizamo. And it should come out sometime before the end of summer. That is our panel. Welcome, Jamie. We're super happy to have you. Um, so I'm going to start with Inga. Uh, I'd love for each of you guys to talk about five, six minutes about your transition moments. And you guys have had multiple ones. So, so walk us through that whole process. Um, especially Inga's like, start with the camera to, the camera to, to editorial, because that's just fantastic. So go for it, Inga. Yeah, so I started in camera um, after school. I was working as a loader. You know, I started in the non-union world. Well, before that, I actually was a PA uh, for commercials and a coordinator. So I did that. And I kind of like jumped into the camera department as non-union, as a non-union person. Eventually, I figured out I wanted to be in the union. So I took the test and I joined. And I started working in, you know, various shows um, for a couple of years. After that, I decided that, you know, I don't want to wake up so early every day. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, oh, you know, like, what would be the most logical next step? And I was like, well, I have no idea about posts. So I decided I will just transition into posts. At the time, I didn't really understand that the networking part or like the people are very different in both worlds. Like if you come, because I was working on scripted material already once I joined the union, uh, I stopped kind of doing non-union work for camera. So I was like, I didn't understand, oh, wow, like you have to like really kind of find new people. I just kind of started telling people, oh, I'm interested in this. And a camera, um, camera operator actually said, oh, I know somebody. And that person contacted me with somebody and a year or seven, seven months later, I was able to get a meeting and I transitioned to post-production. I did an internship before uh, transitioning for three months and then the lady on uh, that he uh, this uh, cameraman had recommended me give me my first job and that's how I ended up in documentary I started on the National Geographic documentary called Sleepless in America and after that I did a bunch more documentaries for over four years and at this point you did not know the avid when you made that transition so you had to totally teach yourself this, right? How did you do that? Yeah, I did that. Like it was, you know, when, you know, I came in from camera, I had the camera stuff down. Um, and I guess that's why this lady that, you know, I said like always gave me like, open the door for me. It's like, said, you need to do an internship so you can learn the habit. Um, but my internship, I remember she said, you can do, I know somebody at Goldcrest and I know somebody at this other place called Full Circle Post and I emailed both of them and Full Circle Post got back and when I did my internship I was really just I wasn't doing stuff on the outlet you know I was doing you know other stuff but I had some time in the internship where they would let me sit in front of a computer and I taught myself online just through videos I bought two books and I read the books and I um, always been doing my own projects. So I edited 
And you shot your own projects, right? Because you're coming from a camera department, so you have all this material, which is huge. I had material. I was always doing something at home. So I just said, okay, the best way that I'm going to learn how to use it is to edit. So I shot a film, and I edited the film myself. And that's how I really learned Avid. And um, so, you know, of course, at the job, I learned a lot of it too. But the basic stuff, um, I think it was a lot of self-learning. Although, you know, I have somebody that was sort of a mentor at my internship, but he was busy. And he was a kind of mentor that was like, if you really, really can figure out, you can ask me. But it was gotcha. like, here, show me how to do everything. Right. You have to like, you have to try it, try it, try it. And only when you're desperate, go to him. And that was a really good uh, thing for me, I think, um, because that, you know, you you become resourceful. So I did um, assistant editing in various, you know, documentary shows for over four years. And then, you know, I came already from the union world. So I knew what was, you know, the benefits of it. I was like, eventually I need to join the editor's union and I need to start doing a scripted. But, you know, I was kind of like going up in the ladder in the documentary world. So, you know, it was kind of like, when do I make that switch? But I knew from experience that I needed to network. So I tried to spend like, you know, I think the, the last two years when I did the transition, just networking, I signed up for, you know, the New York Post Alliance and I call, email a lot of people, a lot of them got back. And I was just curious, I was like, what is your job like? I'm curious, what do you do? And a lot of people started giving me feedback and little by little, you know, I started finding out what the job is as an editor on scripted. And I was already editing at that point. And I had, I got lucky that I had a really good boss that was very understanding and I own my schedule. So I try to go to all the events. And then I just, I was applying for just for like a year, a year, a year and a half. And nobody was calling me. Some people will, some people, you know, and eventually I interviewed for the photograph and I got it. Okay. Now tell us about the photograph, because I think that's a great, they were looking for somebody to do script sync, correct? That's how you got your foot in the door. Yes. They, they told me on the interview, all you're going to do is script sync. That's the only thing you're going to do. And I was like, sure. I know what script sync is. <laughs> and for everybody else out there, script sync is one of the most deadly jobs out there for assistant editor. They already had an assistant editor on the project, correct? Yes, and because it's it's such a time suck that it's really hard for an assistant editor to do dailies, sound work, everything, and then also script sync. So they needed an additional person. And basically what script sync is, is breaking down every take for every line of dialogue. And it's really tedious for the assistant editors. It's great for the editors and the directors because when the director's watching a scene, he's just like, well, I don't really like that line read. Do we have other takes? What are the other takes? And the editor literally pushes the button and Margaret went to the grocery store. 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 You hear the, every single take. Yeah. But all that prep work has to get done by you. So talk to us about script sync and your first day. Your first day is really good. Yeah. So I, you know, when they hire me and they say, okay, you're going to only going to do script sync. And I had done a little bit of it, but not in the, you know, in documentary, just take the scene, the transcript and that's it. You don't do anything else. And so I, you know, with all the network I had done, I had a friend that was an assistant editor and he was, you know, I called him and said, I got this job and they want me to do script sync. I'm not sure of like everything, I think I know, but I want to make sure I know because yep. 
And he was very generous the day before he got, you know, I got, he got on my computer. I mean, I got on his computer and he showed me with an actual project. So I understood the concept because I think that's a big part of it. It's not about like, you have to know the little things. You have to understand the concept. And once you understand the concept, then everything makes sense. Right. How it's getting used. You have to know how it's getting used. What's the point? What's the purpose of doing this? And then once I got that, I was like, oh, I get this. And then I... I literally the next day I was, you know, missing out, you know, I was working with Script Sync. Um, well, I had to get in the union first. So the first day I didn't work because I had to do all my paperwork. Okay. But the second day, then it was Script Sync for three months. And I just concentrated on that. And I just, the way I approached it, I was just say, I'm just going to take the hardest scene first. It was a lot of improvisation, so I could spend on a scene like uh, one week or a week and a half on the really hard ones. But and was- that, that right there, I have to say to everybody, that's the attitude that I would hire this person immediately. The fact that you hit the hardest scene first, because it's de- the job is deadly and that's what's needed. You have to hit the hard scene first, so go. Yeah, because I also knew I was on a deadline because I know that and, you know, like we're going to start preview soon and all these are internal screenings. And I, my boss at the time say, you know, you're going to take over VFX eventually. And then I <laughs> might just start becoming all of these sort of things. Pretty much ended up doing everything. Uh, after I was done with scripting, everyone was super happy. You're done. Okay, great. Now you're going to do this. And then- so on this job, you did VFX turnover or VFX cutting turnovers. What else did you do? everything exports you know i did tons i was like the point person for everybody like i downloaded everything that was coming in into the editorial i exported everything that needed to go out i did turnouts for markers and for international i mean since i work with the studio there are so many people that need different things that i was just random people were asking me for things um i worked with you know the trailer department they needed the trailer so i pretty much I took over the trailer, the BFX, making sure they had everything they needed. Uh, and, and then we did reshoots. So then- You did dailies. Yeah, dailies and people on set needed stuff to, you know, they needed to match a scene. So I had to- oh, Right, right, reference scenes. Okay, so I'm gonna have you halt there so we can go to the next person, but we will definitely come back with more questions. But thank you very much, Inga. So next up is gonna be Christina. It all started, um, so, Back in the days, I moved here from Miami. I moved to New York and started working in production and in reality TV. Um, I was working as a PA and a, you know, a production manager, production coordinator, um, and freelancing in that. After a while, about a year or so, I was getting exhausted of just, you know, the 14-hour days, especially as a PA. There was no um, stopping and there was no union time. <laughs> Um, so I went back to school for audio engineering. Um, after that, I was interning and then started doing a scheduling uh, gig over at Postworks um, for a couple of years, um, which where I, I interned in the audio department and also learned tons of stuff from all the tape guys. Um, from there, I moved over to producing at The Mill um, in their distribution department. Um, the mill is a title house for all those people that don't know. Okay. Um, from there, I moved into producing for sound at a commercial facility. <laughs> from there, I moved over to an agency and uh, worked in as a, an AP. Okay. So that was a different job, and it was mostly commercials and um, 
I was working in sound and color in our, you know, a growing department. When did um, you get started at, at Technicolor Postworks doing the DI I work? I started about five years ago. So after that job, I went over to Technicolor. I had a friend who owned a company that was part of Technicolor. And then later on, we... Um, oh, this is Ben, right? Yes. Later on. And you met him the first time you were at, over at Postworks. Exactly. Right. Um, so he had his own company. And then we all became part of um, Postworks Technicolor. And I was a DI producer for about five years. Um, it was amazing. And also exhausting and I learned a lot for sound for color for 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 everything yeah because yeah. you are like everybody's funneling stuff to you you're the cuts you have to do the online you have to do the color correct then you have to send it out for people to check you're getting people's feedback directors are coming in to look at look at footage a lot of client facing um it's also learning all the new software and all the new cameras um, the way people are shooting and just um learning how to structure an actual film, whether it be a doc, an independent, a feature, a commercial, a TV show. Were you around when they were doing like pre-tests, early stages for each of the films um, to see how the footage looks color-wise or no? Uh, yes, if, if, if a director came in and they were shooting um, before, I think Girl on the Train, like they also came in um, when they were doing dailies and you got to watch some of the footage and just so they could start setting looks and see what they want or, you know, their color to look like later on, how their the cameras are, are working, um, which is a good way to see any problems before you get into post. Yes, to make sure it works all the way through from dailies to finishing before you shoot everything. Correct. Um, I also did VFX over at Technicolor. We started a little department, which got big, and um, we took on a couple of VFX jobs, and it was really cool. So I was also doing VFX at the same time of doing, um, working on the feature. So it was kind of nice. It was kind of a lot, but it was also kind of nice to do everything and just be all, you know, all in. Um, and at some point you decided you wanted to try something new. So how did that happen and who helped you? Um, I was there for five years and I was just, I think I just need a new challenge. So I wanted to go out into the post super world. Um, a little scary, but um, I put some time in and everybody was absolutely amazing. Um, I went out and asked all my clients for advice. Um, Mr. Stuart McPhee definitely helped me out. Um, you know, he had a job that he couldn't finish. So he offered for me to offer to shadow, uh, you know, be his shadow. Um, he would oversee everything I've done and which is perfect, especially for going out for the first time and, you know, getting thrown into um, a show. So that has, that is the best thing that uh, possible transition I could have. So you left Technicolor to post-supervise a movie. It had already been partially done and you were doing the leg work, most of the legs on the ground, and he was there to ask questions of and, and help you with any problems. Okay. Yes. And then from there, I've been post-souping um, some jobs on my own and getting, getting my hands dirty and getting into it and learning as I go. And a lot of the clients that you're working with now are people that you were their DI producer at Technicolor, correct? Correct. Um, so all that early networking paid off in a big way. In a huge way. <laughs> <laughs> and you learned a ton at the facility too of like what it takes, right? And it's great because they were also my clients. So I knew how they worked and I also knew what they, they needed. And they also knew, you know, they were confident in how I, 
um, how I work and what I can give them. Um, so it's been a great transition. You had like a really great working relationship beforehand. So it only, yes, that's fantastic. Okay, we're gonna put a little pause there and go to the next person uh, just to get everybody in. Thank you very much, Christina. The next person up is Veronica. Veronica, dive right in and tell us like, how did you get into assistant editing on your reality projects? So the reality projects actually started with me entering on, a, <laughs> I entered an ad on Craigslist actually. And it was for the creator of Pawn Stars and he was breaking out and doing his own reality show. And so it was for a PA position. I did that. And within a week, they found out that I knew Final Cut and I knew how to edit and I knew the program. And they were like, hey, would you be more interested in an assistant editing position? Sure, why not? So I did the assistant editing position on their first show, which was Mission Menu on Lifetime and TLC. And from there, I did another show with them. And I kind of just stuck with assistant editing for about three years until I transitioned to reality editing. And I was in there for about two years. Um, I started doing Hillbilly Blood. That's where I transitioned from junior editor to editor. That was a hard transition too. You had to really fight to get to graduate to yeah. editor. Right? Yeah, it's a, that was a, a fun story. Um, well, basically they hired me as a junior editor and it was coming down to the wire like any reality show everything was pushed up against the wall they were running out of um editors there was a holiday weekend and they really needed to get something done they needed a rough cut done and i raised my hand and was like i can do it and they were like no 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 we need a real editor and i was like no i can do it i was like i'll edit if you like what i did and you use what i do then you have to give me a credit and they were like mm, all right so they got the okay from the executive producer I came in the Thanksgiving weekend, I worked my butt off, and um, come Monday, they loved what I did, and they gave me five more episodes to edit wow. after that. Wow, that's awesome. So that was the big jump for me and my big break in reality, and uh, I loved it. I love editing. I've always loved to pose from the beginning. Um, I was 18 doing my first internship in California, and from that internship on, I knew editing is where I needed to be. So everything that I've done has been focusing on editing. Um, so after a few years of editing reality shows, I did shows for Nat Geo, Animal Planet, um, Discovery. I did um, some web series, some logo TV. Yeah, how did you make the transition into reality? Or not, re into uh, scripted? So from, I was editing for a few years and a buddy of mine in reality was like, hey, I know this person, they're looking for an assistant editor. I know you don't assist anymore would you maybe want to do it? This might be your only chance to like do a scripted. And I was you're like, take, yeah, sure. A, like, and, and you're taking a step down to take this because you're not yes, an editor. I was editing editor. full time and um, I was very nervous about it. Very skeptical. Uh, I said that I would only do the dailies and that if you wanted me to go past dailies, we can have another conversation. But I was so nervous about taking that step back because it was a huge pay cut. I didn't know what I was getting into. Um, I didn't know the world at all. Yep. And so... I did the dailies. After day one, I loved it. There was a script. It was organized. It was beautiful camera work. Everything was just like amazing. And I was like, whatever this is, I want to continue down this path. Okay. Um, so I finished dailies. And then to kind of speed up the story a little bit, it took two years for me to get my next job. So wow. I interviewed with a post super, didn't get it. I interviewed with another post super, didn't get it. I interviewed with the owner of Goldcrest, didn't get it. And so on and so on. And it went like this because I just didn't have the experience. Um, yep. I only had dailies. I didn't know the terminology. So I was botching interviews in the beginning because I didn't know the terminology. Even though I knew what to do, I yep. just 
couldn't explain myself. Um, so then I was part of this group. Um, it's an email chain and they kind of just do have tier zeros, tier one films and TV shows and they throw them your way. And there was a tier zero feature that someone was looking for an assistant editor. They needed to start within a week. And um, at this point, it was March of 2017, I want to say. Okay. And I didn't want, I, I, I was about to give up. It was, okay. it was March and I told myself, I've been trying for a year and a half. I'm giving myself another half year. If I can't make the jump, I'm not doing it anymore. Um, it was really aggravating. And then the editor for the tier zero, which by the way is 750 a week for an assistant editor. Um, and I had to provide my own computer. Right, right. <laughs> um, I, yeah, so I interviewed for it. She asked me about five times if I was sure that I wanted to do this. And I said, yes, I was like, as long as I get accredited at the end, as long as you can teach me something, I'm in. And so she was like, all right, well, let's do it. So I did it. And then that was my turning point because I joined the union there. Um, it was an eight week project for Yes God Yes. Um, it was an indie feature, like I said, tier zero. From there, I met a bunch of people in within the facility. I met people, which was really cool. Um, they were working on the looming tower. So I met people there and then they recommended me for another job. And I slowly got a few credits under my belt. And then there was a job posting on Facebook for a very difficult job with a very difficult director. And they wouldn't say who it was. They just said, you have to be dedicated to this. You're basically going to be working 18 hours a day. It's not for the faint at heart. Um, but you know, if you get it, it's a great credit. And I was like, okay, well, I still need credits. I need experience. Um, it was a long shot. So I didn't know what it was, but I applied to it. And it turned out to be Spike Lee. She's got to have it season two. And the editor that interviewed me was Hemi Na. And she's pretty awesome, but she basically wanted to make sure that whoever got the job, it was someone who can get an opportunity out of it, not just a credit, but actually yep. someone who's going to learn something from it and be able to get to the next level. And this was me going like 10 levels up from the tier zero. Yep. So, um, yeah, I did. She's got to have it season two with her. Then I met someone through a workshop that I did through the union. They got me on a Comedy Central show. From there, I ended up doing, um, I got called back by Spike to do The Five Bloods, which was a movie that um, I worked on for the last six months. And that's going to be on Netflix soon. And then I jumped on to Billions again with Hemi Na. So it was yeah. a mix of networking and getting there and, you know, persistent, consistent type thing. Okay, fantastic. We're now going to move to Jamie. Uh, Dive right in, Jamie. Let's let's hear your story and start start with uh, working at the Avid, uh, working for Avid because I find that fascinating. Sure. I mean, I I would be remiss. I've got to say, as somebody who's been around a while, I am so impressed with the hustle on this panel so far. I mean, it's like these are the people that people like me are always like searching out, and I mean, it's it's very impressive the stories. So, uh, well done. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I mean, I graduated film school in 95. So at that point, you know, Avids were fairly new, very, very expensive and, um, you know, virtually impossible to get your hands on if you were, you know, someone, if you were a student or something like that. Um, so because I went to school in Boston, I knew someone a year ahead of me who had been working for uh, a little while as a tech support rep at Avid in Tewksbury, Mass, which is, you know, just outside of Boston. Um, he hated the job, uh, 
And I remember him just constantly complaining about it. But every time he would talk about it, I just kept thinking like, this sounds like a good job. Like, you know, they, they, you know, when you'd get a job like that, at least back then, they, you know, you, it was 10 weeks before you ever got on the phone. Um, it was just 10 weeks of being given classes by the leading experts, you know, literally the people that designed the Avid. And at this point, you did not know Avid at all. No, uh, no I mean, at, at, as a film school grad in 1995, I had cut all of my student films on, you know, on film, on 16, yeah. on a Steenbeck. Um, so this was free training, like free training by the best people out there. Yeah, I mean, the only, I just kept thinking, but but they'll pay you to get <laughs> trained on the Avid. That's like, awesome. It's a job. So, I mean, and he literally was quitting his job. So he's like, there's going to be an opening. So, I mean, it sounds funny, but he and I just coordinated it. Nice. I, he got me in for the interview. He gave his notice like two days later. Um, I mean, it was like, you know, no one knew that we knew it. We, we agreed we wouldn't tell anyone that we knew each other. So, um, yep. And they were hiring anyway. And I remember the, what was ironic, actually, even though I saw it as this amazing opportunity to get my hands on a digital editing system, in my second interview with the guy that would go on to become my, my direct manager, um, you know, he kind of was looking at my, my resume and said, so, so, so you graduated from film school? I said, yeah. And he said, what was your concentration? I said, well, it's production. And, but, you know, it was, it was a fairly well-rounded program. And he, and he said, well, let me ask you a question. Do you know what key numbers are? And I said, yeah. Now for the younger people in this particular audience, key numbers are the, the kind of latent edge numbers that are printed on every piece of celluloid. Um, and back then, uh, you know, when everything was being shot on film and then essentially scanned or digitized in, uh, the Avid was the only system that could track those key numbers. So it allowed the assistance later to go back and reconform the film in work print. Right, because each frame, each frame has its own unique key code number. Right, right. So point being, he, did I know what that was? And I said, yeah. And he said, you do, you, you know how they, how they count because, you know, 16 millimeter film has a different number of frames per foot than, than yep. 35. So I said, I said, yeah. And, uh, and I remember him jotting down furiously. And I just thought, what a weird question. Like, of course I know what key numbers are. And literally found out later that was the reason I got the job. Um, nice. They had previous, what was interesting, just by, by way of history, is they had previously been hiring all these, um, you know, I say this with respect, but tape apes, you know, these yeah. guys who had worked in the tape, you know, in the back rooms of, of broadcast companies and and uh, post houses and they, who knew decks and tapes and tape workflow really well, but they didn't know film at all. And, and the big thing between film and, and video is video runs at one frame speed and film is at a different and, and there's all this three, two pull down. It, it was really complicated way back then. Right. And now right. it's nowhere near as complicated. So they but, had way yeah. too many tape, tape people and like yep. no film people. So, um, and you know, I mean, so, so that's how I got the job and it was everything I thought it would be. Um, and within, you know, within six months of getting on the phone, um, you know, I'm being, I'm on the phone with a guy who's telling me he's editing this thing. We knew that he was a huge client. All I knew was his name was Jim. Um, I knew he was the editor. Uh, and you know, it was, we knew about him only because he had like six media towers, which was unheard of yeah. back then. Um, and you know, 
after like my third or fourth conversation with him, I realized that I'm talking to James Cameron and he's doing Titanic. Yeah. Um, but you know, no idea. Like it's his last names don't come up. It's just like, Hey, this is Avid. Who am I talking to? And Oh, so it's, you're, this is Jim. you're learning Avid on their dime and you're networking with a ton of people in the industry, like everybody that could possibly later on hire you. So you do make that jump out of Avid and, and talk about, talk about that. And also talk about how you got, um, how you got your first big editing gig because that's awesome right so the, the pivot out of avid was simply just that i mean it, it wasn't like i was becoming pally with james cameron but but i did get to know a lot of the clients that i spoke to often uh and you know just one of those companies in la i was in boston but uh their tech person was leaving and i like knew that because the tech person had told me and i just reached out to this guy you know uh, on my own time and very quickly, he was like, oh my God, yes. So, you know, he paid to move me out to California and I became his tech person with, with the caveat that I, uh, you know, that I kind of very similar, similarly to Veronica's story, I told the guy, I will take the job as your tech person, knowing that they had a bunch of indie films coming through that place, if I will get assistant editing credit on any of the films that I do dailies for. Nice. Uh, and he said, well, I can't promise you that on every single film, but fair enough. And so that particular job, I was able to amass uh, a lot of experience very quickly, um, you know, maybe seven or eight credits in the course of maybe 18 months, because I was often like digitizing two yep. films while I was turning over another film. And uh, so, and, and got to know a lot of editors that way. Yep. Uh, from there, I just basically went freelance of through just happenstance, an old friend of mine had been tapped to edit the South Park movie. Um, and, you know, they needed a second assistant. He called me. Um, I was the second assistant editor for like four weeks. And then the first assistant editor left. And, you know, no one of those typical, like, closed the door, told me this story that he's leaving to go do an Oliver Stone film. And can you handle this? And, you know, it's, it's, yes. <laughs> I would say the line from Ghostbusters, when a beautiful woman asks you if you're a God, you say yes. Yes. Um, so, you know, I just said, yes, I can do it. And yep. that was the beginning of my assistant editing career. Just, you know, I was on that yeah. for almost a year. Uh, and then once you have a credit like that, um, you know, it wasn't very difficult for me to get other films yep. as an assistant. So how do you jump to editor? Because that is a huge jump and it's really, really hard to do. So you did years of assistant editing with a lot of really great editors and a lot of really great projects. Yeah, I, I mean, I was, I mean, all I can really say is that was my goal. I always knew I wanted to be an editor, um, at least from, you know, the time I graduated film school and every decision I made along the way, Avid very much included, was always, that was always the goal. Um, and there were a lot of opportunities that popped up that were in some cases, great opportunities. I had a lot of, you know, I got to meet a lot of facilities, facility owners yep. um, along the way because of, you know, as we all do, we work in different places. And especially back then I was constantly getting asked if I wanted to like join a staff or right, uh, right. run but, the but post you get, division. You get this opportunity. How do you get this opportunity for the interview? Cause it's really hard to so, even get the interview. Uh, for my first editing job? Yeah. Yeah, so basically I had worked with uh, an editor here in New York named Sarah Flack for a number of years. I was her assistant. Um, we even co-edited a film together uh, and she knew I was ready to make the jump. Um, she had encouraged me incredibly. I mean, I consider 
her my, my number one kind of mentor. She would always let me cut scenes on the films we did. Um, you know, there's a couple of scenes in Lost in Translation that I cut that she, you know, kept saying, I'm not going to touch this. You are responsible for these scenes. If Sophia has notes, you need to do them. So really amazing opportunities. And I come to find out that she had been pushing me um, for this film that Ed Burns, Edward Burns was going to be doing. She had cut a small film for him previously. Uh, he wanted her to come back to do this next movie uh, called The Groomsman, and, but she was not available. And she was, unbeknownst to me, really pushing me hard to him. She said, I think you guys would get along great. Um, I guess he was really re reticent for a while simply because of my lack of experience. Um, right. And then, you know, I found this out many months later, but apparently after kind of going through like the way he put it, virtually every editor in New York, uh, they either weren't available, not interested, too expensive, you know, for whatever reason, just like not, not up for this. He finally said, fine, uh, you know, I'll meet the kid. Uh, and so when I found that out, I, you know, I had always been a big believer in this, but I just, I spent just days doing homework. Um, I just did a super deep dive on the guy, looked up every interview I could find. And because he'd been around a while, you know, there was a lot of stuff there. I was able to find a lot of interviews going back a lot of years. And I was, I read them in order, chronological order. So I could actually really, I got a really good sense of like his growth as a filmmaker and, and, and what he liked. And I found that real, so I, I felt really prepared to go in there. I was like, I feel like I have a sense of this guy. So you go um, in. So what happens when you go in? So I go in and, uh, you know, we, we had a really great interview. I mean, I, I, like I said, I felt very prepared. That said, not only is it your first uh, interview for like the big job, you know, as an editor, which is a little nerve wracking, but you forget until you actually walk through the door and see him like, oh, like I've watched this guy on screen since he was like 23. Like I, I this, this guy is a legit celebrity. He's married to a supermodel. It's like, and when you're in the, that room, there is a moment of like kind of vertigo of like, oh, I need to like get, you know, pardon my friend. It's friends, a stressful interview. It's a very stressful interview. Yeah, yeah. And, but I, I, you know, I could tell right away, I mean, he's the nicest guy in the world, super down to earth. And, and so within five minutes, that kind of went away. I was like, all right, he's just a dude making movies like everybody else. So fine. Um, and I just kind of decided that's how I'm going to go through it. And I, what, ended up happening is I was able to just talk the talk with him. Um, he fancies himself a real like cinephile and so do I. So, you know, when he was asking those, what are very typical questions and those, you know, oh, what are, what are some of your favorite filmmakers and stuff? And, you know, I didn't have to BS. I just told him, you know, honestly, but it, it, I also, it also wasn't because I, I am a big lover and student of cinema. It wasn't just like, oh, you know, Scorsese, Spielberg, like, I love those guys too, but, you know, for me, it was more like, oh, Christoph Kozlowski and, you know, things like this. And, and I kind of saw his eyebrows kind of raising with each as this conversation went on. And I remember thinking like, oh, I'm like, I'm making points here. Like this You're is in sync with him, mostly because of a lot of the research that you did yeah. ahead of the interview to actually know what he likes. Yeah. So I left feeling really good about it. Kind of, I, I kind of left my attitude was like, all right, I'm probably not going to get the job because I know I'm not that, I'm not that qualified. I haven't cut a feature yet, but 
like, I'm cool with it. Like, I feel like I did really well and it was a good experience to know that I can do that again. Um, and on the bus home from that interview, my phone rings and it's him, you know, going like, you're my guy. Like, that's awesome. And, and he told me later, and as I, I had told Kendall this previously, I found incredibly helpful. He, he told me maybe a week later, you know, when he's like, you walked in that room with no shot. I, there was no way I was about to hire you. Uh, I was doing as mostly as a courtesy to Sarah and, you know, I don't mind meeting new people, but there was just no way I was going to hire you to cut like my movie. And he's like, but you left with the job. Um, and, you know, as, as I try to sometimes tell people that that has nothing to do with my skills as an inter interviewee. And what I took away from that was this idea that it's like, do your homework. Because yeah. had I gone in there cold, there's just no way. I mean, yep. we might've gotten along and clicked, but it was like, you know, but it was only because I could see in these interviews that he really liked talking film and he's a real geek about it. I thought, okay, that's, that's the level that I need to keep this interview at. Awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to pause you there because Inga has a really good story about her. I want to hear about Inga's interview because you had the same thing. And I think it's a really, really legitimate question. What do you do when you have a not so great resume for the job you're trying to get? What you got to do something extra. So what is the extra stuff you do? How do you get the job that you don't have the experience for? So Inga, like, Tell your story. How did you get the photograph job? I think I have a great personality. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I did my research. I, I naturally am a person that I like to research. So I'll find out everything about the person. So I think that's really important. And I think we just really click. I, most of the interview was we were laughing. And I think what people look for, you know, besides the technical stuff, is somebody that they want to work with. Yep. I'm going to be in the room with them for a long time. And I think, you know, when I think back of that interview, I started telling about my story. And then we were laughing. And it just felt really, um, um, it felt really easy. You didn't feel like an interview anymore because I think, you know, going back, um, to it, we were talking about things we were interested in, and I was interested about them too. And I knew a lot about them. So I have things that I genuinely uh, wanted to talk about that, you know, were maybe the job because I know like we started talking about the job and then we started talking about other things and my experiences and, and also their lives. So it became more like a conversation. So I think something that is really important to remember is that about connecting with the person in an honest way. I'll also say one thing that we talked about last night um, was you saying that by the time you got to this opportunity to have this interview, you knew the avid back and like upside down, back forward, every which way. And you had like, you had this confidence that you probably didn't have earlier in your editing career. So like, talk hey. about that a little bit. Yes, I mean, I had, you know, I learned the Avid inside out and I'm very comfortable with it. And, you know, I can answer any question. I can, if I don't know, I'll find out. And I think I expressed that, you know, like I, you know, I wasn't lost in, in anything that when they asked me technical stuff. And, you know, I think that was like really important. You have to show that you're confident because what people don't want, and I say because I train other assistants and I don't want you to be unsure. I don't and want... I yeah, from an interview standpoint, like 
and here's the thing, you can't know everything. As much as I said that you knew the Avid up backwards, forward, whatever. You can't know everything, but you have to have a confidence that, oh, that's not gonna phase me. I can figure that out. And, yeah. and you can't fake that. I've seen people like in interviews, like tell me things. I'm like, oh, this person doesn't know what they're doing. And then there's other people that are just like, I don't know that, but that's not a problem. Like I did this, which was similar. And I figured that out in three days. I can, I can figure this out. So that's when I, you know, go back to the idea of understanding concepts. I think a lot of people get, you know, stuck in the technical, oh, I don't know all this technical stuff, or I don't know, it's, everything is a concept. So like once, I guess maybe that's the way I think, I think about the big picture and I, then I see how the little, you know, everything fits. And that's how I learned, and that's how I have learned the habit. So maybe that has been an advantage for me. But awesome. if, if you think of it as concept, you can take those concepts and, you know, any job you do, it kind of is like the same thing. Even it's if not it's, just doing, it's not just doing the task, it's doing what the person needs you yeah. needs. Uh, and I'd like to go to Veronica, because she's got an interesting story too about her interview. Like, I want to hear a little bit more about your interview and the timing of it, because I'm really, really curious if you felt like if that interview happened three years earlier, would you have been ready for it? Well, so I'm going to, I was freelancing at the time. I told myself that I wouldn't take any shows that would tie me down. I wanted to be available because when you make the jump to scripted, it could be as soon as the next day. It could be a week from then. So I wanted to make sure I kept myself as open as possible. Um, that being said, I learned that the hard way. That was one thing that I would not have known three years before that. Um, when I did the interview, I applied to a job poster. That person actually reached out to me separately and said, hey, you know, your resume looks great. It looks like you're editing pretty solid in reality. Are you sure you want to make this jump backwards and do this? On top of that, you're basically working 18 hours a day and you're going to be like a slave <laughs> to, to the feature. Um, and I said, yeah, let's, let's, let's do it. And she's like, okay, but you know, it's also going to be this and that. And she basically tried giving me the worst case scenario that it could be. And she's, I said, she's trying to talk you out of it. She also said that it was a long commute for you. Right. And, and yeah, she brought up that off the table. Yeah. She brought up my commute and I was like, I've been doing this for eight years. My commute is not an issue. That is not something we need to discuss. Like next question. And, right. um, it was funny because nothing she brought up had to do with my actual skill set. It didn't have to do with the fact that I never assisted in on such a big project. I only had done little indie features and stuff. So um, it was basically all about my personality and my drive. And I said, I can do it. I'm ready. Like, I just, I just need the chance. I just need someone to give me the chance. And so she said, okay, I'll pass you on to the post supervisor. The next day the post supervisor calls me probably about two o'clock. We were on the phone for about an hour. Um, he's like, great, love it. I'm going to pass you on to the editor. And within an hour, I was on the phone with her. I was on the phone for another hour with uh, the editor. And then funny enough, I went and met up with the person who had the job poster, who posted it, Janice Vogel. Um, she posted it. And so I knew where she was going to be that night. We ended up meeting up for a drink real quick. She met me. She goes, you'll be fine with Spike. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine with the editors. Don't worry about it. She ended up texting the editor and was like, hey, just met Veronica. She's awesome. It'll be great. And by the time I got home, I had the job. And I, they wanted me to start the next day. But again, I was at MTV at the time. I didn't want to just like drop everything. But I did uh, turn them down. I was supposed to be there for another two months. Instead, I dropped that and jumped on board on She's Gotta Have It starting that Monday. Awesome. And here's the thing. Like, uh, I feel like you have to be really, really lucky to have the right person give you the opportunity and not everybody can give you the opportunity. 
Spike is a really, really unique filmmaker, and he really, really tries to give opportunity to a lot of people. A lot of people have started their career through Spike, Spike Lee's productions. And like, I feel like everybody's had somebody that's helped them along, and it's been in a couple of different areas. So like, what was the vibe? Because not only Spike helped you by giving you a newbie a job, but it was also the editor's mantra as well of trying to, to help somebody that wanted to get started. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do um, with just passing it forward or yep. passing it on, however you want to say it. Um, the editor, she was a student at NYU with Spike. Spike was her, his prof her professor. So when she graduated, she became his editor for about five years and she wanted to do the same thing that someone had given her. They just wanted a platform. She knew that I had the talent. It wasn't about that. It was literally about just giving someone an opportunity. Um, I was up against people that had all these scripted credits. They were way more advanced than me. They were way more qualified. I didn't even know what a turnover was. Right. Um, and she hired me. And I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, kind of like what you're saying, everyone ha has to give somebody a chance. And uh, Spike is huge for that. If anyone ever gets to work with that man, he's amazing. He includes everybody. And coming from a reality background where I kind of want to be involved in story and be involved in every single aspect in the room, and I want to be involved as much as I can, he makes sure you're involved. He brings That's you awesome. in for the daily. He makes sure you're watching it. He asks you questions. He'll ask your opinion. We'll sit down to lunch and he'll ask more questions. And I think that experience, besides it being awesome, it just made me realize I'm at the right table now. Like, this is where I want to be. Nice. We're going to turn this over to questions. I'm sorry it took me so long, but I wanted to get through all of this. Actually, I just wanted to quickly jump in. Um, I was really remiss in not acknowledging uh, Rebecca Hernandez, the administrator and of the, Alliance, the Post Alliance and also the Post Super on Billions right now. She put this panel together, did an amazing job and uh, just props to her. Okay, Chris, take it over. <laughs> Aaron Brander has a question for Inga. Where did you find the scripted jobs to apply to in the first place? alliance every single for two years like i joined i was editing and every time i saw a job post i submitted i didn't care i have my resume ready i fixed it a couple times when i asked people that others aes that i interviewed that were working the scripted some of them you know gave me suggestions for my resume i fixed it and i kept applying did you have a, a cover letter like because that's no cover letter just the okay the email the email oh. Yeah. So what did you do in your email to like make you stand out because of your lack of experience for what for the job that you were trying to get? Anything special? It's okay. If you... I, I think that uh, from what I remember, I never thought I had lack of experience. Awesome. So I will actually in my cover letter put, I actually work on a show where I took over the whole workflow. I told the camera people how to shoot, you know, how to like slay because they didn't know, you know, like, I understand the process from beginning to end. So um, I think maybe I wrote that on the emails. So awesome. I, I thought I always had the experience. I just maybe didn't understand the concepts yet, but you know, you learned that. Okay, Chris, give us, give us the next question. From Damon Byrne, Inga, you mentioned some books. Which ones? And, ah. and Inga, you mentioned Avid Agility by Stephen Cohen. Are there any other good learning resources, whether they're books or websites? There's more books, but I don't remember. I will find them. 
Um, but pretty much I did a Google search assistant editor books and I pretty much probably read most of them. Um, I'm, I also went online, you know, learned Avid 101 and I just watched all the videos. And then I think most importantly, because you understand the concepts with the books, you know, but then doing it is the most important. I think for me, the biggest breakthrough was when I, my keyboard was, I customized my keyboard. I understood what are the uh, um, that I need and I customized it for Premiere and um, Avid because I work in both, you know, depending on the job, we have to go back and forth. So I think if you can edit at home, I think that was my biggest learning experience because I took my short film from beginning to end. And, you know, I had to go to a mix, I had to work with the colorist. So I, you know, when I look back at that project, I did a lot of stuff I shouldn't have done, but <laughs> And um, I think that was the best thing for me um, to do. Awesome. What's the next question, Chris? From Tanu to Christina, please can you explain how the responsibilities differ from DI producer to post super? So facility side to project side. Um, so there is a difference. I'm by myself now. <laughs> I don't, you know, before you had a whole facility behind you if anything went wrong or now I, you know, if I'm sick or um, I still have emails to answer. Um, I'm directly speaking to the networks like Netflix, um, you know, uh, HBO. Um, I'm speaking to the producers, the editors, uh, VFX department, and I'm also dealing with the budget. So, um, you know, from facility side, there's a whole accounting department and now it's, you know, kind of on you to, you know, understand workflow to put the schedule together for the film. Um, you're speaking to the facilities. So now I, I'm speaking to my old self um, about, you know, time and um, for both sound and color. Um, so it's a, you know, it's a definitely a bigger responsibility, but you Coming from DI, it has, you know, I know what the facilities are looking for and the kind of questions. And I also know that I can lean on them. Um, you know, they're, they're the ones who are operating. They're the ones who are, um, they're the colors. They're the conform artists. I'm still asking them questions. They're a resource. They're a huge they're, resource. Yes. I, you know, I send them my schedule and, hey guys, how does this look? You know, is this going to fit within, you know, our budget, do you need more time for anything? Um, you know, we would just watch the movie down. There's actually, it's actually going to be longer. Um, so I have to go back and get a budget change. Um, you know, it's just, it's being on top of everything. Wearing <laughs> a lot of different hats. Also with the schedule, the schedule's not just like when things happen, the yeah. schedule represents money. Yes. Every week is a heck of a lot of money. So like that schedule is really, really important. Yes, and now I understand, um, you know, our, our post supervisors, when I was a, you know, a DI producer, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I get it. You know, it's like, well, you know, can you fit us in? Yeah, sure. I mean, of course, you know, and you're like, wait, can you? And so it's very, um, it's, it's different to see this side of things because that schedule is, um, is our main focus because it is about budget and is about when things are getting turned over when you can let go of your editor and let go of your AE, um, when you still need people, what you're going to need at the end of post, if everybody still needs to be on. Yep. Um, and when like people that. can take vacations because they all want to go. Okay. Um, yeah. 
It's you. I feel like that doesn't exist, but um, yeah. <laughs> um, it's not a, for you. <laughs> it's a bigger responsibility, and it's um, I think coming obviously coming from DI and my background has helped me a lot, and um, also given me. I've been able to speak to a lot of like you know, sound and colorists and to talk their language. Yes, which has helped a lot. Chris, what's the next question? Okay, from Twee McCallum to Christina. Since you have an audio background, any advice for a current freelance post PA whose long-term goal is sound editing and mixing? Is it best to contact post studios for a job or contact professional mixers to shadow them? Um, both. I, I think shadowing people is the best thing to do. Um, you know, if you're in a position to take an internship um, at an audio house or a facility, I think that's a good opportunity. Um, you know, sometimes it's hard to say, it's like, I'm one thing. It was, it was hard to go from sound into DI. Um, I had a friend who gave me the opportunity, but it was a transition from my resume. But um, I think you should email mixers. I think you should email their, um, their assistants and ask for help, um, ask for any advice they can give, anything you should be working on, um, anything to look into. But I think facilities, uh, their heads of departments, everybody in this industry is very helpful and very good about giving advice and trying to help anybody out. So reach out. And I will say it's not like from all my conversations with all of you guys, you guys reached out to a lot of different people at a lot of different stages and not all of that panned out, but it was all like over time, really, really helpful, accumulatively, really, really helpful. Um, and you, you like worked on your network without even realizing it. Did you feel like that was the case or no? Um, I definitely do. I think, um, I have become friends with everybody I've, <laughs> um, you know, coming from every facility, I'm still friends with everyone. Um, they all are in different positions. Uh, we're all teach each other. We all call each other still as friends if we have any questions. Um, everybody from the network might know somebody who can help you out and that they could reach out to. Um, it's a the big network and I think that I think anybody you could talk to is beneficial. Awesome. Chris, you, any more questions? I mean, I know we're at five, but I'd, I'd love to keep doing going with questions. Sure. Okay. Yeah, we, we just have four more. Okay. Uh, Anjan Sanidi in the to everyone to the whole panel. In the post COVID world, what areas of post production would you say would be more, more or most desirable to pivot into? Ooh. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in like just based on, it's funny, you know, my, I had pivoted into reality out of necessity back in like 2009, um, which is, you know, not a completely dissimilar situation than we're in now, obviously for very different reasons. Um, but, you know, at that point when the, with the big crash, you know, films just dried up. Um, it took a little while and it happened in different phases, but, you know, with a huge economic downturn, uh, films start to dry up traditionally. Uh, with what we're facing now, when you add the financial impact, which is almost a secondary thing, with, you know, 
just this whole social distancing thing, if you've been seeing all the, all the uh, articles on Howard Reporter and Deadline and everything else about how studios are trying to figure out how they will even put a crew together. Um, this is that moment where just based on my own, you know, 20 plus years experience in the industry, if you're working in reality TV right now, stay there. Uh, because you will likely continue to have a job because those shows are very easy to produce, cheaper to produce. They don't take very large crews and they can be edited just about anywhere. Um, I know this is probably not what some of you want to hear, but right now is not the time to be like, I'm going to jump to features because uh, I, I, I'm not saying they're going to all go away, but I can pretty much guarantee you there's going to be a downturn um, in the number and you know, the amount that are being produced. I'll jump in as well. Um, I do see like post is actually very nimble and can do a lot. Um, the problem is we're reliant on production and production is the thing that's going to be affected by COVID the most because that's where 150 people are in the same darn room. So uh, I do think documentaries will do okay as well. Like that and documentaries also offer a huge uh, entree because those people are really um, open to anybody who will work for them and work hard for them. Uh, and I know if Veronica is still on, I know she's worked with Alex Gibney over at Jigsaw on a couple of his films and she's got an opportunity through, through Alex's company. And I myself have gotten opportunities through Alex. He's one of those people that definitely gives back to the industry and brings in new people. Um, but also there's been downturns in this industry in many different ways. You have to be nimble, think on your feet and make adjustments as they come up and just try. Um, I was, was no going to say uh, VFX editing would probably be pretty, pretty good right now. But once again, you, you are reliant on production to shoot the thing that you have to VFX. Oh, totally. But we're going to have to fix a lot of... Yes, <laughs> that is true. There, there's going to be a lot more VFX work coming up. I Yes, she's abs you're absolutely right. Yeah. Hey, there's no crowd. Don't worry, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> Chris, any other questions? Sure, just a couple more. The next one was from Sadiqwa, but we, we kind of just covered it. It was, how do you think post will change now that working from home is more accessible? So let's move on um, from Amy Lied. As a doc editor looking to pivot to scripted TV, what sort of networking contacts should I look to cultivate, whether it's post soups or editors on shows? I can answer that. Um, I just look at my favorite shows and I contacted the editors. I send an email or I contacted the assistant editors and some of them answered, some of them didn't. Some of them said, come to my facility. Some of them did, you know, didn't. And that's how I started. So I sent a lot of emails. If I knew, I, I will think of people, maybe this person knows that person that can introduce me. So, you know, I had an Excel sheet with names and all that. Um, so that's what I did. I think them, I think editors were great to talk to just to get an idea, um, of what they expected from me or from an assistant editor. Other assistant editors were also great to, to talk to like tech staff and kind of like figure out why do I need to upskill or, you know, what do I need to get better at? Um, I also talked to as you know, post supers, I always try to send emails to post supers and, um, yeah, and, other, and sometimes it can come from other ways. So I think it's important to just keep telling that to people. That's how I did my, uh, when I uh, transitioned to post-production, 
from being a camera assistant and scripted to go into documentaries, I just told somebody, hey, I'm interested in this. And that person say, hey, I know this person. <laughs> here to get that person in a room with me, but it happened eventually. So I think part of it is also being really patient. Like this yeah. take two years, but that person will come back, you know? And, um, and it's cool because then you make, you know, you kind of like, you know, you have those contacts and you make friendships, so. I'll also say on one of the shows that I was working on, it was The Americans. We had uh, an assistant editor who, when she got hired, she knew she was gonna be, take a week long vacation. And so she said, I'll take care of it. I'll fill that job. I'm gonna, there's this person that I've been talking to that she is unskilled, like she hasn't done the show yet, but she's gonna shadow me for a week. She's gonna fill for me. And I was like, okay, you're taking care of this. This is great. So that's exactly what she did. Um, and uh, she was awesome. She took care of our dailies. It was a really, really hard show because uh, we had two editors to three, uh, or to me, two assistants working for three editors. And then on that show, everybody got sick. Like it, we were shooting during winter and the flu went wh whipped through all of post. As soon as Fred got sick, we're like, huh, let's call Kate. She's familiar with the show. She already knows who the people are. She did a really good one week job. Let's bring Kate back in. Kate was available. She came in, she filled in for another week while Fred was sick. Then Marnie got sick. So let's bring Kate in. <laughs> and sure enough, she filled in there. Then Kate, uh, Marnie had to leave early. So we're like, why don't we call Kate and see if she can handle the back end of the show. So over the course of one season, she probably worked six to eight weeks on our show and cut her teeth and learned everything that she needed to learn. But I will say this, she worked her butt off. She trained for free by shadowing uh, Marnie for a whole week ahead of time. She learned what she had to learn. She already came with some knowledge and then she wowed us when she, when she was there. So, uh, and after that job, I got a call saying, do you recommend Kate for an assistant editor job? And I said, yeah, totally hire her. She's great. So, and she's now working as assistant editor. There are opportunities um, and you don't know when the door is gonna open for you. So you better be ready. So learn wherever you can and just know that all of these interstitial steps that you don't think are really all that important, you're actually learning something. And you bring that with you. Um, to every job you take and it's you're still learning I, you know i'm 25 30 years into this industry and i'm still learning every day on the job there's something new so anyway chris any other questions sure last question and, and kendall i'd just like to thank you for moderating and thank you to all of our panelists and to the attendees for all these great questions and please everyone just stick around for a poll at the end of the session because we'd like to know what you thought about everything um, here we are, last question from Yale um, when, to the panel. When you first transitioned either from AE to editor or reality to scripted or some combination thereof, were there any mistakes you made? And uh, if so, how did you deal with them? <laughs> Veronica, I feel like you had some really good stories about people helping you out editorially with the stuff you didn't know. Yeah, so I knew a lot um, in terms of technology wise, I know Avid, like it's nothing. I mean, I took courses on it. I was working with it. I was editing with it, but like I said, I didn't know the terminology. So that was my biggest problem. Um, hindsight probably could have read a book. Um, <laughs> the Avid, there's an Avid bootcamp book. I think that's pretty good. 
um, or an AE boot camp, I think it's called. That one's pretty solid. It kind of shows you a layout of even how to organize to how an editor might like their line selects done. But um, I was surrounded by a lot of great people. I was surrounded by assistant editors who knew that I was transitioning and knew that my drive would take me further than my actual skill in this scenario. So um, when I was with, um, when I was on She's Gotta Have It, I would volunteer for everything. I would say, hey, do you mind if I sit with you? Learn it once, I'd write it down. And then I would say, do you mind if I try it on my own? And I'll turn, turn around and ask you if I don't know how to do it. And he was like, yes, 100%. So as long as we had the time, that was kind of the workflow we got into. He would teach me something. I would turn around, I'd try it, turn back around. I have questions. I don't have questions. And slowly we kind of fell into, even though it was a TV show, we kind of fell into a first assistant role and second assistant role. So I was kind of more of a second assistant editor in the situation learning. And he took the ropes and he was more than comfortable um, taking that on. And as a thank you, when I was done, when I got my next job, I brought him with me and he assisted edited with me again. So, um, nice. um, yeah, but you're going to make mistakes. It's kind of just how you recover from it. It's that's all that matters. And it's a mistakes are inevitable. Just make the right ones and only make them once. Don't make them twice, whatever you do and make sure you're writing everything down. Um, an editor asks you something, write it down, have a notepad with you. Um, those are the type of mistakes that you just don't want to be caught off your feet off guard or anything like that. And I want to add to that when you make mistakes, um, actually, you know, tell it to whatever your supervisor is right away. Don't wait. Nothing is going to happen. It's going to get solved. Everything has a solution. And sometimes, you know, I work with people that they get scared and they don't tell you and then the problem becomes bigger. So just as soon as you make that mistake, and I, I learned that myself too, as soon as you make the mistake, go to your supervisor and tell them what happened because it's probably something simple and it can and, get and there's also like a chain reaction that happens with it like i've definitely been on shows where i'm waiting for my sister my assistant to post something so i can send it to the studio and two hours in i'll be like where is that 10 minute file and they're like uh my computer just keeps crashing it's been crashing for three hours and i'm like uh okay now i'll start solving this problem i would have liked to know a little earlier so and there's repercussions because this, I told the studio that they were, they could expect it in two hours and now now I gotta call them back. So I totally agree. You have to like notify, don't be embarrassed. How you handle mistakes shows courage, caliber and uh, experience actually. And just admitting that you, there's a mistake or there's a problem is so necessary to everybody. Like the sooner the better. Cause then more heads can come. Someone's got, someone's got another piece of information that you don't know about that's going to help, either help or be impacted by your problem. All the questions. Okay. Thanks so much again. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for the audience. Thank you for New York Post Alliance. And uh, thanks for my panel. My panel was awesome. You guys are amazing. <laughs>